don't know, I'll say this to start because I feel like it needs to be spoken. And then we'll get to the nitty gritty tonight. Some of you here need to stop running from the grace of God. And I'm just going to be up front and say it in a very loving and gentle way. You've been aware of the fact that God in his grace has been pursuing you for some time. And for whatever reason, out of pride or ego or fear, stress or worry, whatever it may be, you've ran from that grace time and time again. And tonight you need to stop running and let the grace of God catch you. And realize that there is nothing greater than being pursued by the creator of your soul other than when you allow him to catch your soul. And I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are. But I do know that you're in here. And can I just tell you that when you come to the loving grace of a father, you have no fear of his judgment or his wrath because his son Jesus went to the cross to take all that for you. So no matter how wretched your past is, no matter how much filth you think your soul carries, God stands ready tonight to wash over you with the righteous blood of his son so that you receive nothing but his grace and his mercy. Now that sounds like a pretty good deal to me. So if you're here tonight and you have been running and running and running and running from the grace of God, don't leave this place tonight still running. Leave this place tonight resting in his love and his mercy and his grace for you. Now let's get to it. We're going to find our base in one of the gospel accounts tonight, and I'll give you a hint. It's not Matthew, Mark, or Luke. So that leaves us with only one option, which is John. Specifically, chapter 11. So I'll see you guys there here in just a moment. Hidden Algorithms has been the series, and tonight we're going to close the book on it. I really hope that God has used these messages in a powerful way for you personally, and I'm expecting Him to end this in a big way with us tonight. So shake someone next to you and tell them, listen up and lock it in. Listen up and lock it in. God's not done speaking yet. He's got a word for us to receive tonight, and we're going to find that in John chapter 11, starting in verse 1, and God's word says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, being Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Let's talk for the next few moments we have together about strategizing for optimizing. Algorithms can contain within them what are known as optimization methods. These methods have parameters, in essence, 
that consider a problem or a scenario and then they will produce the maximum or optimally desired outcome. In other words, it will give you the best result possible. Now, I need to keep that in mind for the next few moments because we're going to come back to that a little bit later on. But let's get back to the narrative that we just entered into. Jesus and his disciples are off doing kingdom building stuff when a messenger arrives and they let Jesus know that I've been sent to you by Mary and Martha to inform you that their brother Lazarus has fallen sick and it's not looking good. He's in bad shape, Jesus. Now you need to know that Jesus was very close to this family. They meant a great deal to him. He would oftentimes use their home as a ministry base when he was in that area, healing the sick and preaching salvation to the lost. He would stay at their house very often. So he had a very, very close, tight-knit relationship with his family. And obviously, Lazarus's condition was urgent. Otherwise, they wouldn't have bothered Jesus with the concern over it. So it would stand to reason, I would think, that Jesus' response would match the level of urgency in the request, which within it implied for Jesus to take action. Basically, they were expecting him to receive the news and then come back to that place to do something on Lazarus's behalf. But things get a little bit strange at this point. So as we jump back into the story, we pick back up in verse 5. It says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So one of Jesus' best friends and a family that he dearly loves is dying, and yet after learning of it, Jesus stays put. For two more days, we're told that he lingers in the same place that the messenger found him in, which seems like intentionally that he chose to do so. But that can't be the case, can it? Like, there's no way Jesus can be that apathetic. There's no way Jesus can be that uncaring about this situation, particularly when it comes to a family that he so dearly loves. Surely, Jesus wouldn't intentionally remain in this place after hearing the urgency of the request of the family to come to their aid. But what he's doing is he's strategizing for optimizing. His strategy is to use this as an opportunity to optimize, first and foremost, listen to me, his glory, but also the faith and the belief of these people. So let me show you how Jesus plays this out. And the application for our lives, even today, is amazing for growing our faith and our belief in who Christ is. So the first thing I want to show you within this strategy is that timing is everything. So go back and let's jump back into the story. We're going to pick back up in verse 6 again. So he hears that Lazarus is ill, and he stays two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. 
Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. So the disciples didn't get it at first. Lazarus has passed, and Jesus has to make it blatantly obvious to them. He's like, no, you fools, you're not taking a nap. He's dead. We're going to go now because Lazarus is gone. And the first glaringly obvious detail that sticks out in this account is how after receiving the news, Jesus decides to linger where he was for another two days. It kind of gives us this feeling that he wants Lazarus to die. It's like he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is already at this point garnered a reputation for being able to do supernaturally what nobody else can do, performing healings that nobody else had ever seen anybody do. They knew full well Jesus had the power to restore Lazarus's health. And yet he remains in this place and lingers there for two days. And we almost kind of get this sense that Jesus is doing so, just kind of waiting for Lazarus to die. Instead of going to him and healing him of his illness, he prolongs his stay where he's at. And it's like he's dragging things out, waiting for Lazarus to just pass. So there must be a reason for why Jesus is doing what he's doing. And he gives us a hint back in verse 4. If you caught it earlier, you're pretty sharp. But just in case you didn't, I'm going to show you the hint. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, look at what he says. This illness does not lead to death. Now hold on a second. What did he just tell his disciples? Lazarus is dead. But in verse 4 he says, This illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. There's our hint. There must be some reason why Jesus is doing what he is doing. Here's your big main hint. It's for his glory. It's so that whatever is about to take place, he can go back into that situation and he can receive all the glory for what he is going to do in those specific individuals' lives. Now keep in mind the point that we're making. Timing is everything. After a couple of days passed, he then announces to his disciples, we're going back to Judea. That was Lazarus's location, but the disciples didn't think it was the best idea in that moment. Jesus lets them know, hey, Lazarus has died. We're going to go back to Judea. And the disciples are like, uh, Lord, let's kind of take a heat check for a second. I don't know if that's necessarily the best idea because when we were just there, those people were trying to stone you. They were so enraged, they were so upset, they were so mad at the things that you were doing in that region that they were trying to literally kill you. Now you're telling us that you want to go back? I don't know about all that, Jesus. That doesn't really seem like the best timing, I would say. Going back to that place now, after those people had just sought to end your life. So once again... I'll say it, there must be a reason why Jesus is doing the things in which he is doing them. It's the funny thing about algorithms is that they're set to be very strategic in their timing in which they will send you notifications, either typically for updating or for uploading, whatever it may be. Those pings to your phone, and when you get them, they're not random in their timing. It's part of the algorithm's optimization method. And I'll show you why it's not random here in just a little bit, but you need to know that when your phone gives a buzz or a vibrate or a ping and your social media is trying to engage you with some kind of interaction, it's not at a random time. It didn't just decide to pop up at 10 o'clock in the morning. 
or at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. There's a reason why that's taking place at the time in which it is. And what you need to know in this situation is that Jesus is very strategic in his timing. His schedule always operates around his strategy. So what exactly is Christ's strategy? Well, it's quite simple. It's to seek and to save the lost. It's to heal and to help the hurting and the broken. It's to restore and renew souls that have been fractured into pieces by sinful rebellion. That's his strategy. So everything that Christ schedules his life around is involved with that strategy of what he came to do, the mission of why he came from heaven to this earth. Jesus would always arrive at just the right moment, and he would always depart at just the right moment. All throughout the gospel accounts, you can see where Jesus travels from city to city. And it always just so happens to be that he will wind up on the banks of the next city at just the right moment to pass by somebody that's either walking on the shores of the bank that needs to hear a word from him, or he meets some funeral procession coming out of town while he just so happens to be walking into the town. Jesus always arrives exactly when he wants to, and he always departs exactly when he needs to. He is very strategic in his time. His movements are never without motivations. There's no pointlessness in his appointments. There's no purposelessness in his actions. And even though we may think he does at times, Jesus doesn't need any training on time management. How many of y'all are really poor time managers? How many of y'all are lying? Some of you are. Some of you are really poor time managers. You know how I know? Because you got an assignment due in about three hours. And it's only been available for you to do it for two and a half weeks. Some of you are really poor time managers because we start at 8.30 and y'all roll up in here at about 8.40. Hey, I had a... When I was at UNA, I played baseball for the legendary Mike D. Lane. Y'all don't know what that's like. You'll never know what that's like. That guy would remind us daily why his name was on the field and not ours. But he instilled with us this principle of if you're on time, you're late. So if workouts were at 6 o'clock and you got there at 6 o'clock, y'all might would consider that to be on time. Coach Lane would have you running laps. I remember when I was a freshman, I rolled up just like that. We had 6 o'clock workouts. I got there at 6 o'clock on the money. I walked in the door. He said, you're late. I was like, what? He said, you know what time workouts are? I said, 6. He said, you know what time it is? I said, 6. He said, that's right, you're late. I'm like, wait a second. Like, something doesn't make sense. He's like, from now on, if you're on time, you're late. Some of us are bad time managers. You just have a hard time bottling all that stuff and getting to the places that you need to be at when you need to be at. And you don't know how to get there when you need to get there. Perfect example, some of you are late to class because you're poor time managers. And it's not that you didn't get up on time. It's that you didn't take all the other parameters into consideration. You didn't think about the fact there wasn't going to be no parking on campus. You didn't think about the fact it's going to take you 15 minutes to find somewhere to park. And then you're going to be on the other side of campus when you found that place to park. And it's going to take you 18 minutes to walk to the class you were supposed to be at 14 minutes ago. 
You need to work on your time management a little bit. And I think some of us look at the scheduling of our lives and we think Jesus is a poor time manager of our lives. Now I'm going to accentuate that point here in just a little bit where you can see it a little bit better, but I want you to look at this first. I don't know if you noticed it or if you picked up on it or not. When, when Martha and Mary, so Martha and Mary, they, they send this messenger to Jesus to let them know that Lazarus is sick, which carried with it the implications of, hey, Jesus, we need you to come back. We need you to come over to the house because Lazarus is sick. So when Martha and Mary wanted Jesus to come, he wasn't ready. Watch. When Jesus got ready to go, his disciples weren't ready. You're going to go back now? I don't know if that's a good idea. I don't feel like the timing of that's very good. When Jesus finally did leave, everybody that was involved in the situation would have considered him too late. Here's what I'm trying to get you to see. Rarely, if ever, will the timing or the scheduling of your life's events or seasons align with God's. More times than not, he's not going to show up when you think he should or where you think he should within the time frame that you think that he should. Because more times than not, our time frames, our time management does not align with his. That's not to say that he isn't going to show up. That's not to say you're not going to eventually find him in the place that you think that he should be. It just may not happen in the time frame that you think it should happen. And here's the thing, we've got everything timed out. If there is one thing about us as a people, we seem to have everything on a timeline. I'm going to be in school from this point to this point. I've got to be married by the time that I'm 25. I've got to have kids or at least start by the time I'm 30, which means I'm in my working career at this point. So I should really be a supervisor or a manager by the age of 35. And then I should have some land and a home built for myself probably by around the age of 38. And if at any point we surpass any one of those time frames without it happening, we start questioning and interrogating God on why it hasn't happened. I thought by now that I'd have my degree. I thought, God, by now I would have a relationship. I would have found somebody that was ready to love as much as I am to give love. I thought by now I'd be in a marriage. I thought by now I would have already started a family. I thought by now I would have already had my own place to live in. We start interrogating. We start questioning God on why things haven't happened when they don't happen within the time frame that we think they should happen in without ever taking into consideration that his timing for the seasons of our life is different. Maybe you're not in those places yet because he hasn't gotten things ready for you yet. Maybe you haven't gotten a degree yet because he's getting things prepared down the road for you in a different way. Maybe you're not in a relationship yet because he knows if you had one, you'd mishandle it because you're not ready to be in it yet. Maybe you haven't moved out of that place yet that you're in because he knows there's still some people there that need to hear the gospel and you're the only light in that place to give it to them. You start taking into consideration the timing of God upon your life. We want to declare him Lord over all of our life except our time. 
when that is ultimately the very thing that he should be Lord over the most? A side note, and I don't want this to sound mean, I really don't. I can say this stuff because I had to learn this stuff. And so it was difficult for me, but I wish somebody would have said it to me instead of me trying to figure it out for myself. A little side note. We're not going to spend long on this because I don't want to hurt your feelings. Sometimes we just put our tardiness off on God's timing. I really thought I'd have a degree by now. But at the same time, it's not God's fault you change your major three times. Well, I just really thought I would be in a relationship or have a marriage by now, but it's not God's fault that you won't ask her out on a date. And it's not God's fault that you won't give him a chance. Well, I really thought I'd have my own place by now. It's not God's fault that you're unwilling to move out of mom and dad's house. I'm really not trying to hurt feelings, I promise. I had to deal with it myself. But I'm just saying, like, be careful that you're not putting your tardiness off on God's timing as a cop-out. Let's move on. Regardless of that, he knows that timing is everything. Sometimes what we feel as things getting drawn out is God drawing things out for just the right time. You've got to learn to start trusting his timing. He understands as much as he... Listen, he, he, does not, he does not exist within time like we do. He is the... How many of you feel like you waste a lot of time? Here's the cool thing about our God. He is the creator of all days and the waster of none. And so if you will commit to following him day by day, guess what you'll never do? You'll never waste a day. Because you're following him, and he never wastes a single moment. Timing is everything, and he understands that. You just got to align your life with his timeline. Now, there's a reason why timing is everything, because he's making moves to do some deepening and developing. And we're fixing to kick it into high gear, because I spent way too much time on that. So I hope you all are ready. You ever taken a drink out of a fire hydrant before? That's what it's fixing to be like. <laughs> Verse 14, chapter 11. Says so Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. He's talking about sharing in their mourning. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days, and Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? 
But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again and came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor, for he's been here for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus is deepening and developing. His timing is everything because he is getting ready to deepen and develop. Well, deepen and develop what? Faith and belief. Remember earlier Jesus said in verse 4, I'm telling you that this does not lead to death, but for the glory of the Son of God, and that he may be glorified through it. All of this is taking place for the glory of God. And then when he informs his disciples that Lazarus has died, he adds on, for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there. I'm glad that Lazarus has passed. Why? Because this is going to be for your own beneficial beliefs. This is going to be to greater deepen your faith. Something even greater is about to happen as a result. If I would have went and been with Lazarus while he was sick, I would have healed him of his illness, and it would have been awesome. But since I've waited, and since he has then passed, an even greater thing is about to take place. You're going to see the dead come back to life, and your faith and your belief is going to be further deepened in who I am and the things that I have been telling you. Jesus had things timed out perfectly. Why? So that he could be glorified, so that faith could be deepened, and belief could be developed. And not just for his disciples. You can't forget about Mary and Martha. All this while, they had been at home waiting and watching for Jesus to come running, and he pulls a no-show for two days. Now their brother is dead, and they're deep in mourning. And when word reaches the sisters that Jesus has arrived, look at what happens in verse 20. It says, Martha runs out to see him. She falls out at his feet, and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It would feel like if Jesus would have showed up a few moments earlier, some of your pain and some of your sorrow could have been avoided. Some of your trials, some of your tragedies could have been avoided, but for whatever reason, Jesus seems to have drugged his feet. Martha falls down, and I love the realness of her hurt and her pain before God. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But she doesn't stop right there. She says, but even now I know that whatever you ask of the Father, he will give you. Something interesting about, Mary, about Martha, she's hurt, but I think Martha knew there had to be a reason why Jesus did what he did. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know whatever you ask of the Father, he will give you. I think deep down Martha knew there was some reason, even though she couldn't understand it, even though she could not fathom why Jesus would do what he did, she knew there had to be a reason behind his ways. There had to be a reason behind his workings. Mary, on the other hand, is different. Martha runs out of the house and Mary keeps sitting there. Did you notice? Martha's hurt, but Mary is wounded. Mary's hurt bad. Jesus is coming, and ordinarily, Mary would have been the one to run to his feet first and sit down, but Mary's hurt. And when she finally does come out of the house, when she finally does go to Jesus, her response was the same, except it lacked the second half of the response that Martha gave. 
As Mary runs out, she falls before the feet of Jesus, and all she says is, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. It's like you can hear the anguish in her voice. It's like you can hear almost the resentment in her voice, like, God, Jesus, why? Why, when you, why, when you heard the news, did you tarry? Why did you not come running? I don't understand. If you love my brother so much, if you love me and my sister so much, why didn't you drop everything that you had going on and come to our aid in our time when we needed you here the most? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. I think in Mary's heart, she could find no reason for why Jesus had so uncaringly, it seemed, let her brother die. She was broken. Her heart was torn into so greatly that among it all, it moved Jesus so emotionally that he began to weep as well. Why? Because his heart was beginning to resonate with the pain of Mary and Martha's and all the other people that were there that loved Lazarus. I don't have time to spend on it tonight, but isn't it amazing to see that we have a Savior who relates to us in our deepest pains and emotions And as they make their way to the tomb, because Jesus says, take me, a, take me to the tomb. Show me the place where he's laid at. I think it's also amazing, too. We don't have time for it tonight. It's such an amazing story. We don't have time for it tonight, but I think it's also amazing, too, that Jesus invited himself into the place of their greatest pain. He says, hey, take me to the place where it hurts the most and show me what's there. In the same way in your life, Jesus invites himself into your pain. He says, take me to the place where you hurt the worst. Take me to the place where you've got the deepest wounds and show me what's there. Why? Because I'm about to do something. Take me to the tomb because something's fixing to happen. Show me your pain. Show me your hurt. Show me your wounds because I'm not just going to go there and look. I'm going to go to that place and I'm going to act. It's going to be on your behalf. And so they go to the tomb, and Jesus makes a surprising request. He says, roll the stone away. And Martha's like, Jesus, he's going to stink. Are you serious? You want us to roll the stone? He's been in there for four days. He is decomposing. It's going to smell. There's going to be an odor. That also goes to show that Jesus doesn't mind your odor. No matter how bad it may be. No matter how bad the stink of this life may be all over you. No matter how bad the stench of sin is all wrapped around you. He said, I ain't no thing. He's like, I got that heavenly Febreze for that. <laughs> so they move the stone and he prays and he commands Lazarus to come out. And imagine the scene when this guy comes out the tomb. I don't know if any of y'all are into like the zombie stuff or whatever, but had I been there, I don't know that I could have hung around for that. He comes out with the grave clothes on. He's all bound up. He's got his hands wrapped together and his feet. And he comes shuffling out of the tomb. I'd have been like, whoa. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Lazarus, is that you? You better speak up real quick because I'm running back to the house. I'm going to shovel. And if you don't make yourself known, I'm going to put you back in there real quick. Imagine the scene of the reaction of the disciples and the sisters and everyone standing around. Jesus didn't merely have the raising of Lazarus in mind, though. This wasn't even, even more so for Lazarus as much as it was for his disciples and the sisters and the other people that were standing around and the deepening of their faith and who Jesus was and the power and the authority that he had over all 
things. All the while, Christ was strategizing to optimize, to max out, first and foremost, his glory amongst these people, his magnificence, his power over all things, even death, but also to optimize or to max out in growth their faith to levels that it would have otherwise never had gotten to. Listen to me. The deepening of your faith, the developing of your belief in Jesus, most oftentimes comes in the midst of uncomfortable places. But you still got to go to him for that to happen. I know we harped on Mary a little bit earlier. She was hurt. She was broken. Her heart was torn in two. She could not understand why Jesus would do the things that he did. But even in the midst of her not understanding, even in the midst of her uncertainty and her doubt, even in the midst of all her questioning and her pain and her hurt and her sorrow, she still got up out of the house and went and ran to Jesus. So listen, even in the midst of all that, you may not understand. You may not realize why he He's late. You may not realize why he's taking as long as he is to do specific things. It may take all that you have to finally get yourself up off of the couch, but at some point in time, you have got to run to him. And when you do so, he will deepen your faith in ways that you cannot even imagine. If Jesus doesn't allow Lazarus to die, perhaps nobody in this story has their faith deepened. So listen to me. In the same way, if that family crisis doesn't happen your faith may not get any deeper. If you don't have to suffer through that injury that could end your career, your faith may not ever go any deeper. If you never feel that loneliness and rejection, your faith may not ever get any deeper. If you never walk through some deep places of depression and heartache, your faith may not ever grow any deeper. Even beyond that, we're told that many more people believed in him afterwards. You, you know, on your, I know, I know on Instagram, like with a business account, because we can do this with our life page, there's an option there for you to boost your post. You familiar with this? You can boost your post. Now, I want to tell you exactly what that does. When you do that, you can boost it to people who like your page and their friends, or you can choose specifically to target other people that aren't aware of your account. Jesus is boosting his post right here. He is strengthening the faith of those who have already liked his page, so to speak, and are following him on a daily basis, but he is also targeting all those around who have yet to believe in him to help them see in the wide open, there is no one like me. I am the resurrection and the life. Here's why algorithms are so strategic with the timing of their updates. I told you I'd give you the why. It's because it has found that within those frames are its and yours greatest opportunity for impact. So within those moments exists the greatest potential for the greatest volume of people to be engaged with whatever it is you want to post. If we allow him to, Christ will strategize the plans and the paths of our lives in such a way that the moments and the seasons of it will bring him the most glory, deepen our faith to depths that it would have never plunged to on its own, and engage the most people with his gospel through our testimony. I'm going to finish up with this. We know it worked, at least for Mary and Martha, in a profound way because it's not going to be much longer and Jesus is going to be crucified. And at the crucifixion, Everyone who has claimed to follow Jesus and be one of his has at this point in time scattered. They're gone. 
None of the disciples are standing around the cross. They're not there in his death. But you know who didn't scatter? Mary and Martha. They stayed right with him the whole time. Even in his death. Now I wonder why these two women would stick around even when they saw Christ breathe his last. Maybe it's because they had a brother who they saw breathe his last, who laid in a tomb for three days and then walked out a little while later. Their faith had been deepened to the point in that, that even as they witnessed Jesus take his last breath, they recalled him saying, on the third day, the Son of Man is going to come out of the tomb. They never left his side for one moment because their faith had been deepened by what God had allowed them to go through. Even now, Christ is strategizing. For those of you who follow him, he is strategizing your life in a way that your faith can be optimized in him if you will submit to following and trusting in his timing for the courses and the plans and the past and the purposes of your life. And even if you're in here tonight and you don't know who Jesus is, you never had a relationship with him, timing is everything. You think you are here by accident? You think you walked into this place by mistake? His spirit brought you here so that you can know he loves you beyond anything you can imagine. And he stands willing and ready to accept your soul into that love and that grace and that mercy. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for his glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through his word here at Life.